0: The last page has been turned on my most recent read and I'm currently enjoying a perfectly brewed cup of tea. It's actually showing steam because it is so cold. I'm not quite sure how it happened but December is already here. I have opened a few doors on my advent calendar and the two massive projects that I have been working on for the majority of the year are now finally live. Though they still unfortunately require a bit of work, so I am no longer going to be burning the candle at both ends and it is really time to celebrate. I know I wanted to make November a bit different, but I ended up hitting two massive snafus that made it impossible to produce the content I like being associated with when it comes to the podcast, while also working long, really involved days at the office, or rather in my home office, which was freezing and still is. That meant something unfortunately had to give, but I am back now and I have a festive, sort of festive themed book for you this week to start December off right Right now, I'm ready to tell you all about the book I've just finished. So here I am, no spoilers, opinion-filled as always, and ready to roll. All of which means it's time for the latest episode of Being Bookish. I'm your host, Ray, self-confessed bookworm, introvert, hermit, long-term depression sufferer, and happy to say still ex-coffee addict. Join me on my journey through my ever-growing to-be-read pile, which just continues to get bigger, and enjoy the latest of my 100% spoiler-free book reviews. Welcome to December, the month of the year when many run around like headless chickens, rushing to buy last-minute gifts, put up decorations and make the perfect bread sauce. Ugh. Ugh to go with the rest of their turkey dinner. Yes, in the UK, turkey day is Christmas. This week I am looking at another Agatha Raisin. I keep on saying, no more! And then I hop right back in the minute I start re-watching the TV episodes, which I am currently re-watching for about the seventh time. I'm not sure what it is about this amateur sleuth, but I just cannot resist her, and the somewhat questionable utopia that is Carsley. And that's why this week I'm taking a look at book 21 in the series, Agatha Raisin and the Busybody. So light a few candles or perhaps just switch on that reading lamp because a bit of atmosphere is always a wonderful accompaniment. And to be fair, the days have been pretty dark. Get yourself a cup of something hot, preferably hot chocolate, or a glass of something chilled, maybe a lovely glass of Bailey's depending entirely on when you're listening, and let's get started. Agatha Raisin has never been one for enforced holiday cheer, but her friendly little village of Carsley has always prided itself on its traditional Christmas festivities. But this year, the bells will not be ringing out silent night, as Mr. John Sunday, an officer with the Cotswold Health and Safety Board, has chosen Christmas as the time to crack down on what he sees as gross misconduct by every man, woman and child in the vicinity. The village shop is told it can no longer have wooden shelves, which have been there since the time of Queen Victoria, in case someone is inflicted with a splinter. The village hall is ordered to leave lights on at night to prevent unauthorised intruders from tripping in the dark. And children are warned to not play with counterfeit banknotes after passing around toy money in the playground. But finally, Mr. Sunday goes too far when he rules that there cannot be a Christmas tree atop the church tower this year. Soon after the decree and just before Christmas, Agatha is sipping a cup of tea and trying to stay awake as minute by minute of the Carsley Ladies' Society meeting at the Vicarage drones on when a sudden scream wakes her from her stupor. The ladies rush out of the building and into the garden to find Sunday lying face down in the petunias, very much dead. Agatha is instantly on the case, but with so many people having threatened the life of the victim, it's almost impossible to know where to start. As you know, I have spoken about a few of the newer Agatha Raisin books over the last year, and I have had a few issues, just a few, with the way that her character is portrayed – Desperate, jealous, perhaps a little bit vindictive, but I'm really happy to say that this book was unlike the two that came before it, namely A Spoonful of Poison and There Goes the Bride. Both of these books portrayed our supposed central protagonist as a bitter and jealous old woman who hated anyone who was younger and prettier than her. Though there are elements of these characteristics in The busybody, the main focus is on the mystery itself, which is far more complex than I have come to expect from M.C. Beaton's work, but actually more enjoyable because of it. So let's take a look at the story, though I will not be revealing our murderer or the motive behind it. They will definitely be a massive surprise with a movie reference at the very end, should you decide to read the book for yourself. When I first started reading the book, I honestly thought it was just a few weeks from Christmas, mostly because Agatha was talking about going away for the holiday season, and the opening chapter sees our intrepid independent sleuth headed to Corsica for a three-week holiday to escape from the ice and cold, though she sorely overestimates the weather she's going to get, and when she arrives at her hotel, the staff are unhelpful, and everything is closed. See? Very Christmas vibes. She gives her holiday less than a few days before she realises that home is where the heart is and she heads back to Carsley and that's where the excitement begins. Things have been happening in Carsley and the surrounding villages since Merster Borough Council hired John Sunday as their health and safety inspector. Everything he says goes... And he is a little bit power hungry. He doesn't seem to like it when people are happy. So things like Christmas trees, lights and even candles in the church are being banned. And of course, with Christmas at risk, people are getting more than a little bit angry. John Sunday, of course, doesn't seem to care. He's a heartless bureaucrat and the more enemies he gets, the happier he seems to be. The funny thing is that, as with any murder mystery, the further on you read, the more you learn about this obvious intended murder victim, the more you realise that there are not only multiple motives, but also a very long list of suspects. Upon her return to Carsley, Agatha decides to keep herself busy and she is roped into visiting a nearby town, Oddly Crucis, by her good friend Mrs Blogsby. And this is where things start to go wrong. At the ladies' meeting, where they are talking about what they should do about Mr. Sunday, who has earned the nickname of Grudge, Agatha is slowly sinking into slumber when she is woken by the sound of a hand slamming against the patio doors. It's covered in blood and attached to the man who is making everyone miserable. Moments later, it's apparent someone has killed Sunday, and the vicarage is the site of a murder one that sounds like it could have actually come out of a horror movie. In fact, when I read this for the first time, my immediate thought was the hand slamming against the glass, blood streaking down the pane as he slips to the floor. And all I could think of was scenes in multiple horror films that I've seen. And I'm not a fan of horror films in the least. But who could possibly have done it? when you consider he has made an enemy of pretty much everyone. Agatha's curiosity is quickly piqued, as usual, because that's how she got the detective business in the first place. Luckily, the day after the murder takes place, she is hired by Miriam Courtney, a local widow who has considerable amount of money and one of just two suspects in the murder. It turns out that not only was Miriam one of the only people who left the meeting for long enough to stab the supercilious health and safety officer, but she also called his offices and threatened to kill him because he was affecting her business. The more Agatha digs into John Sunday's life, the more awful things she discovers about his character and the more suspects that turn up, including several blackmail victims – But of course, this wouldn't be an Agatha Raisin book if there weren't a few more strings to the story bow going on. Agatha is rather resentful of her client Miriam, and this resentment grows even bigger when the wealthy woman starts to flirt with Sir Charles Fraith, who actually reciprocates, though he has motives of his own, which I will go into a little bit later, This gives Agatha a little hope that Miriam is actually guilty of the murder because it would get her out of the way. Not that she actually admits any time at any point that she wants Charles for herself. And she has had him a few times by this point. Just when you think things can't get even more complicated, that perhaps Agatha and the police are on the right path, there is another victim. Miriam is bashed on the back of her head, and her beautiful manor is set on fire. The fire is so big, in fact, that Agatha can see it from her cottage in the next village. With their most likely suspect now dead, the search must begin anew. But there is a huge pool of suspects to choose from. But who out of that group wanted Miriam dead? Because despite her own personal dislike of the wealthy woman, it seems that Miriam was a generous donor, much like Agatha was in Carsley at the beginning, gifting money and time to many village causes. It's at this point that Agatha realises she hasn't quite been the woman she set out to be at the beginning, and this is where things take a turning point for her as well. When Tom Courtney turns up in the village, the last thing Agatha expects is to be on the receiving end of his flattery and kind comments, as well as a generous retainer. He wants Agatha to investigate his mother's murder, and if that means that she also solves Sunday's death at the same time, then so be it. Of course, Tom is handsome and charming, and appears to be more than a little interested in Agatha. At least his behaviour gives her this impression. Granted, he has a few unpleasant quirks. He's massively germophobic, homophobic, and xenophobic. He's judgmental, and, to be honest actually probably less quirky and more nasty just as Agatha is doing her best to impress him Roy arrives hiding from a situation he wants to avoid at the London PR agency where he still works he gives Tom the wrong impression when it comes to the sort of relationship that he has with Agatha which sparks something of an unfortunate uncomfortable conversation between the would-be lovers when Tom advises Agatha she should be careful about AIDS if she's sleeping with Roy as he thinks the other man might be gay. I have to be honest, until this point Tom's behaviour was simply odd. After this conversation I started to change my mind completely and believed that he was a full-on jerk who is completely aware of his horrendous manners. Roy wants to help Agatha investigate the two murders while avoiding the situation he's got in London, and while Agatha is off being wooed by Tom, he nearly gets himself killed. He's bashed on the back of the head in a similar manner to Miriam, and left for dead in the middle of the village, with those near him assuming he's actually drunk. To say that this novel takes a turn in less than 300 pages is an understatement. Not only does Roy nearly die after the attack, but things start to get even more complicated when Agatha starts to suspect Tom of being less nice than he appears, and she decides to follow her gut, which leads her to taking a plane to Philadelphia to investigate further. It seems that Tom has made it very clear that neither he nor his twin sister Amy had a close relationship with their mother Miriam, to the point where they actually loathed her. All this leads to an attempted poisoning, a realisation that there is something very wrong in the world of Courtney Twins, and she needs to get back to Carsley quick. While she's investigating the murder, she is the victim of a pretty vindictive smear campaign conducted by Dan Palmer, a two-bit journalist at a national newspaper who seems to have something personal against Agatha, though we never actually discover what that is. Unfortunately for poor Jerno Palmer, things don't go very well for him when he decides that he's going to play Agatha at her own game after losing his job and solve John Sunday's murder for himself. He runs headfirst into trouble that he has no idea how to get out of. This book actually has multiple red herrings, as many of the Agatha Raisin books do, and though it starts around Christmas and ends around Christmas... The story itself skips around in the 12 months in between, and it would be fair to say that this case is not quick in being solved. All told, this is not a two-murder book. It's not even a three-murder book, but if I tell you that you get a hint of an iconic 1991 film at the end, I'm not giving anything away. As I've already said, Agatha Raisin and the Busybody is the 21st book in the series, and though the two previous ones were not my favourites, focusing far too much on disastrous romantic relationships for Agatha, the majority of this tale was an enjoyable ride. There were a few moments that were like, oh my god, really? But most of it was good. As you know, I like to provide a balanced perspective when it comes to the books I look at. And while my opinion will be what it is, taking a look at reviews from both ends of the spectrum can help other people to make their minds up. So before I give you my review, why, what did others think of Agatha Raisin and The Busybody? Megan really didn't enjoy the book and gave it just one star in her review. Pace was one of her key dislikes. This book reminded me of the time I made the mistake of getting my lady parts waxed at a nail salon. Thoroughly and unnecessarily unpleasant. I wanted it to end, but it just didn't. Not for quite some time. Every small action was drawn out, and just when I would see a glimmer of hope that the whole thing was about to be over, it wasn't. Let's agree on some basics for a murder mystery. If four people have already been killed and a few more sent to the hospital, you fail as a detective. You did not solve the murder soon enough. Additionally, if the main murder of the story is overshadowed by a much more interesting one, which is then solved sooner by someone other than the detective protagonist, your murder mystery may have barged in on some other author's murder mystery that was proceeding at a much more reasonable and thrilling pace." Agatha Raisin books aren't exactly the most popular or most commonly reviewed on Goodreads. However, this one seemed to garner more favourable reviews than some of the past books I've taken a look at. That being said, there are less than 600 full reviews and just over 7,000 ratings on the site. Sophie Nairi gave the book five stars and is clearly an Agatha fan if this review is anything to go by. Another amazing Agatha Raisin novel. So far, there isn't a book in the series that I dislike. This one is no exception. We join the wonderful Agatha on another adventure to find the murderer, or murderers. This book takes us from a quiet little village, although quite eerie at times, all the way to Paris. There is a new addition to the agency, Simon, who I think is a wonderful new character, I hope will feature in more. Agatha still has her usual boisterous personality, but still manages to get the job done. I admit I didn't guess who did it in this one. Normally quite good at guessing, but this one had me stumped up until the end. Another five-star read. There are many things that I personally enjoy about Agatha Raisin books that are quite divisive if these reviews are anything to go by, and I'm going to go into them in more detail now. Did I like Agatha Raisin and The Busybody? I have to be honest, there are certain things about the Agatha Raisin books that I find frustrating. The focus on Agatha's age, her appearance, her jealousy, her bitterness. These are themes that are prevalent throughout the series. But one thing that is highlighted in this novel is the fact that Agatha is a very loyal friend who would do anything to help the people she cares about. This particular personality trait comes up a couple of times in this book first when she's worried about Roy after he's assaulted and abandons her date with Tom to be with him. She's clearly frantic and just wants to be there when he needs her. The second time is a little more about her solving a problem that her apprentice, Tony Gilmore, doesn't really want her to solve, that of the unwelcome houseguest. It seems that Sharon, a secretary at Agatha's detective agency, has descended upon Tony's apartment without an invite and doesn't want to leave. So Agatha takes it upon herself to ask Sharon to go. For all her good intentions, sometimes Agatha can be a little heavy-handed, and though her first moment of interfering is met with agreement, and Sharon reluctantly agrees, things take a rather negative turn when Sharon, who has taken up with the rough leader of a viker gang, tells them she's working undercover, and then turns up dead. We also get introduced to another new member of the team in young Simon Black. He's very intelligent, keen on being part of Agatha's team, and incredibly keen on building a relationship with Tony. Going undercover nearly ends with him drowning in the village pond, but he is determined that he's going to not only prove himself to Agatha, but also solve the mystery. Agatha, sensing something growing between Tony and Simon, gets to meddling, unfortunately, and this time not in a good way. Partially driven by jealousy that her young protégé could get the happily ever after that has eluded Agatha, and partly concerned that she could lose good staff, she tells Simon that Tony is off-limits while they're working together. I get the feeling that Simon is wily enough that he will be able to find a workaround to the conditions of his employment, but he's going to allow Agatha to feel as though she has the upper hand, at least for now. I know that I say this every single time I talk about an Agatha Raisin book, but I love Charles Fraith. Yes, he's a bit of a flirt and about as indecisive as Agatha when it comes to relationships and where he wants to go with his life, but he is always there when Agatha needs him and he would do anything to make her happy. This is a trait that I love in him and I still wish that they would end up together. I've always felt that they're much better suited than James ever was. This book is full of twists and turns, unexpected revelations and an ending that is more than a little surprising. But I enjoyed it far more than some of the others I've read and I think that the red herrings make this book what it is. Will I read more of the Agatha Raisin series? Every time I read one of these books, I say it's the last one. I have now said it four times, and every single time has proved to be a lie. I know that I find the books frustrating, but there is something about Agatha that I just love. Perhaps it's my desire to find out if she finally ends up with Charles, or if her desire to not be alone leads her down the wrong path again. As it's happened repeatedly, she really hasn't got the best track record. If you're looking for something like this, or you loved this and want something else, then you'll love these. There are so many books that fit the cosy mystery template. There's always the Queen of Murder Mysteries herself. Anything by Agatha Christie will always get my two thumbs up. If you're looking for something based on a more exotic location, then the books by Robert Thorogood, the creator of Death in Paradise, could be up your alley. I know that he's got a new book coming out this month, but he did also write books based in the Death in Paradise universe, and they could be just what you're looking for, especially in the colder winter months. Like a book within a book, then Anthony Horowitz's Magpie Murders is a great place to start when an editor has to solve the murder of her best author. I recently also started a new series by Leslie Cookman, Murder in Steeple Martin was an interesting introduction to the Libby Sargent mysteries. The series currently isn't anywhere near as exciting as Agatha Raisin, but it does have promise and I have five further books in the series on my bookcase waiting to be read right at this moment. It's been a few weeks since I've posted anything, and I call Mayor Culpa on that one. Things have been hectic, and if you follow me on Instagram and possibly on Twitter, you'll know that my November reads were a little bit sparse. I guess that's what happens when I try and read a book I am not feeling enthusiastic about. And then in the last week of the month, things were just so busy that by the time I finished work every evening, I was absolutely exhausted and couldn't bring myself to read anything, which really isn't like me if I'm being completely honest. Hopefully things will pick up in December and I will work my way through even more books on my TBR, which has continued to grow over the last few weeks, though I wouldn't say that it's unmanageable just yet. That being the case, I am not averse to getting more and I am never gonna say no to book recommendations. So if there is a fiction novel you think I would love, recommend away. Send me an email at notbeforecoffeepodcast at gmail.com or DM me on Twitter or Instagram and I will be sure to take a look. If you haven't purchased a Christmas present for the bookworm in your life and they are difficult to buy for, I know that I am. I actually make a wish list every year then maybe one of these releases for the week beginning the 5th of December will be something to look out for. If you like books that have everything from secret societies, murders and occult practices, then Ninth House, the first dark fantasy adult novel by Leah Bardugo, the author of the fantastic Six of Crows, comes out this week. Are you someone who has been watching I'm a Celebrity this year? I haven't, but then I never have ever seen an episode of it. Were you a fan of Matt Hancock? If you were, why? Anyway, his biography, Pandemic Diaries, is out on the 6th of December. He's currently not incredibly popular. (laughs) No, I'm not talking about Matt Hancock again, but David Walliam's children's books have been hits that are constantly being recommended If you loved Gangster Granny, then perhaps Gangster Granny Strikes Again is a stocking filler for the young reader in your house. It's recently been serialised in a few newspapers. Giles Brandreth may be best known for his bright jumpers, especially in the 80s, but he's also a close friend of the royals and his book Elizabeth comes out on the 8th. Good Girl's Guide to Murder was a huge hit, if my friend's comments are anything to go by, but Holly French doesn't hold back and her latest book, Five Survive, delivers even more suspense and chills. Join spirits and humans on the Isle of Cadence in A Fire Endless, the sequel to the popular A River Enchanted by author Rebecca Ross. Surprisingly, there are quite a few books coming out over the next couple of weeks. I honestly thought things would quieten down over the holiday period, but there's a great selection to choose from if you're searching for a Christmas read or that last-minute gift. If you want to find out more about new releases in the next few months, make sure to sign up for my newsletter, which I promise I will be starting again soon, by clicking the button on my website or heading to my Twitter page. I promise, I really do, that I am in the process of getting my reviews written and getting everything back in place to make the newsletters exactly what you deserve. So how are things in the bookish household this week? Well, it's definitely been a busy few weeks, if I'm honest. We've been working at my at the company I work for, we've been working on getting a brochure finished I've been working on it since January and also getting our brand new website up and running there are as there always are there are a few teething problems I'm currently in the process of working on the wonder that is a an accessible brochure with a larger font less images far more easily readable and we're also working on getting updated content that has been sitting on our old website since 2015 however we're also experiencing issues with the wonder that is google and their review system so <laughs> i was at our work christmas party on the friday just gone and met with the, uh, the the managing director and the first thing he said to me was i sent you an email today i got an out of office i hope you're having a good holiday can i speak with you on tuesday about the reviews So now my brain is completely focused on that, but I am going to hopefully enjoy the rest of my very short break. I took four day day weekend so I could get some stuff done for the podcast and hopefully I will get it all finished before work starts encroaching on my weekend brain. Apart from that, Everything seems to be going okay. I am very tired at the moment, but I blame that completely on the fact that it gets dark so early now. I sit in my office and one minute it will be really, really bright. It's just gone 2.30. I've come back from my lunch break. And the next thing I see is a little note in the little corner notification come up on my screen, sunset coming and it's half past three. So it goes from, I'll be sitting in the living room in the pitch black before I start work. I'll go back and sit in the living room after work and I've had to shut the curtains because it's already dark. And I think that as with many people, the winter months are not the best for mental health. I do work far harder to maintain balance I suppose with meditation things that keep my mind off the weather in fact I came home from work on Tuesday night I promised myself I wasn't going to watch any Christmas films until December I got home on Tuesday night and the first thing I did was switch on Arthur Christmas I made myself a cup of hot chocolate. It was too late to really make anything heavy to eat. So I had a cup of hot chocolate and watched Arthur Christmas. Granted, my sugar levels did take a massive dive because I hadn't eaten anything. But I just couldn't bring myself to get up off the sofa and make anything because it's the one day I go into the office a week. And it means it's the longest day of the week for me. So (laughs) Hot Chocolate and Arthur Christmas on Tuesday, and it wasn't quite December. I am avoiding other Christmas films because I'm taking part in Whamageddon. But yeah, (laughs) let's see how long I can last with that one this year. And I think that's really it. I've found Christmas or the looking forward to Christmas thing isn't quite there yet. I know it's December. I've bought all my Christmas presents. They're sitting in boxes in the hall. But I can't quite feel that holiday festive cheer. I thought reading a Christmas-focused book would help, but it hasn't yet. I think that, actually, I blame my age for that one. I don't think that that same Christmas joy is there when you know that, Well, A, I don't put Christmas decorations up because I don't spend Christmas at home and I don't want to come home to find that my cat has pulled my tree down on top of it. (laughs) And I just, I think that I'm finding the dark skies, the darkness early in the afternoon is quite draining. I am sleeping longer in the mornings. I actually had a lie-in this morning And it was a full-on, I didn't wake up when I heard the slightest sound. My neighbours were very considerate in that they didn't vacuum early this morning, which is a first for a Sunday, I have to be honest. And I actually got some sleep. So that was a small mercy. And I think that the cold doesn't help either. At the Christmas party on Friday, I ended up after leaving early ish it was 10 to 11 I ended up waiting outside for half an hour in the freezing cold got home and then couldn't sleep and I'm not a Christmas party girl either it's one of those things you're either a party person or you're not and I'm not a party person I was planning on just sitting in with a book And again, another cup of hot chocolate. That seems to be my theme for Christmas is cups of tea and cups of hot chocolate are my thing. Far more than getting drunk on cheap wine in a pub on a Friday night. I had this fantasy of reading a good book, drinking a cup of hot chocolate, listening to a TV show or something in the background and relaxing for the evening. Instead, I ended up burning my forehead with a pair of curling tongs and then sitting outside a pub for half an hour waiting for my taxi home. Yeah, I sound like a real grump. I guess the secret with December is have nice lights. I have actually got glitter in my wallpaper in my study and I'm looking at it right now. It's twinkling, reflecting the light from the overhead lamp. And take some time for you. And that's what I've been doing. I know that November was a bit of a miss when it came to the podcast. And that for that, I apologize. It was just so manic that I couldn't focus on more than one thing. And work took precedence. But I have got a week coming up at the end of this month. And it's actually not that long until the end of the year. I've got a few good episodes planned for December including i'm starting uh, i'll start as i finished and if you know how i started you'll know how i'm going to finish with a groundhog day type experience actually based around christmas but it's a a book rather than a film and i hope you'll enjoy it well that's it for this week welcome to december Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, why not share it with your friends and family? And please post a star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of the other podcatchers where you listen. You can follow me on Twitter at being underscore bookish and on Instagram at beingbookishpod. I also have Hive and Mastodon, and I think I'm being bookish at both of those Or you can check out my website, beingbookish.co.uk. Well, I've actually really got a lot to get ready for next week. And a new book is calling me. I've actually got it already set out on the dining table. So until next time, this is me saying...